I'd like the opportunity to talk about our great friends at Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne. If you're on a construction site and need product urgently, then you can count on Grimley's Direct. Getting your orders to you on time, every time at speed with our fleet of Grimley's vans and trucks direct from us to you. It's that simple. Grimley's has been in the game for more than 30 years, earning a reputation built on grit, determination, and a focus on delivering the best sourced fasteners and construction supplies with a whatever-it-takes type attitude. Uh, whether it's a large commercial job, a small domestic little project, hard-working tradies need the right products at the right time. Grimley goes above and beyond to deliver on the details. Grimley's always aims for the best solutions to your products. Go to grimleys.com.au for delivery that you can count on. Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Life of Brian. Brian, how are you? Yeah, very good. As you as you try and take your jacket off mid oh, <laughs> record. You've caught me off guard. <laughs> well, we're recording. All right, well get on with it. Yeah, how are you? What's going on? Uh, nothing. Um, nothing's going on. I'm in the middle of uh, doing your, nothing at your the moment. Your phone's ringing. Who's yeah, that? Phone's ringing. Uh, that's Nick Theodosi. So uh, not going to take that one. Not at the moment because I'm in the middle of the podcast. That's very disciplined of you. Yes. Um, so welcome back. We are brought to you by Grimleys. Grimleys are the number one source for construction supplies in Melbourne. Order, same-day delivery. It's as simple as that. They are the best in the business. Look for the blue and white vans. Absolutely. We're going to crack straight into it. Just got a couple of footy topics off the top. Um, The draft has obviously recently been. Your thoughts around getting draft picks right, particularly in the top 10, and how it can be a a bit of a... Well, I don't think they do, and I don't think they should be expected to because the difference between... like We just get so carried away with who is the number one pick. Uh, and we don't really worry about the guy that's the number 10 pick. I'm talking about the main, the, the top 10 picks here. There is so little difference between number one and number 10. It really is just a number, yet we put so much emphasis on whoever is picked number one. I mean, Franklin was picked five, I think, in his particular draft. Deledio was number one in that draft. Roughhead two, Griffin three, Tambling four. You've done some research. Franklin five. And if you want to go to the Bontempelli one, who's my favourite player, Marcus Bontempelli, 2013 draft, Boyd one, Kelly two, Billings three, Bontempelli. Now, Bontempelli's currently the best player in the competition. Franklin was is one of the all-time greats of the competition, a legend, yet none of those guys were taken one. This is my point. The difference right at the moment with um, Harley Reid and Jake Rogers and Sanders and all of these guys is that, you know, no one really knows whether they're going to end up being a being the number player. one that yeah. they were drafted or being the number five. It just makes no difference. So we've got this huge emphasis on numbers, in the particularly in the top ten, which really mean nothing. The guys, there is no, there is no formula out there that has proven to be right by any of the recruiting guys that says that they get numbers one to ten in the correct order because it's just impossible to measure uh, where someone's growth is. Some- are, you, are you being drafted by your potential or your current strengths? No, I think you're being most most draftees would be taken on their potential. If you are 17 and and the recruiters say that you're already playing your best football, geez, it better be good because mm. if you can't improve from the 17th year, the 17th year, you're in trouble. 
all draftees taken, I reckon, are based on they have enormous improvement in them. And that's where the number thing becomes blurred because what you don't know as a recruiter is how much how much growth they have in them, how much better they can be. No one knows the answer to that. And that's why you often end up with the numbers, you know, at the end of their career, you could put them in quite a different order. Yeah, beautiful. Um, next topic, uh, I have no idea what this is or what it's about, so maybe you can shed some light on it. What is round zero? Round zero is the round before round one. So what's happening is the NRL, uh, I, I think, are over in Vegas. It catches the NRL slightly off guard. It invades their territory when no other NRL action is going on because it'll all be overseas, so they should dominate the press up there. It'll be interesting to see whether they do or don't. Yeah. Um, staying on sport, we're in a bit of um, the NBA sort of thoroughfare at the moment. Mm. What any you, you love your basketball and you love watching the NBA. Yeah. What Any um, any uh, observations? Uh, Victor Wembanyama mania sort of. Yeah, it doesn't grab me, but he's, I'm sure he's going to be great. And the bits I've so seen. Wemby, by the way. Wemby doesn't grab you. Well, far too much San Antonio on the TV well, at the moment. Because everyone wants to see Wemby. Wemby, I've seen enough of. Put him, lock him away for a year, let him develop, and then we'll come back and watch Wemby in a year's but time. He's when seven foot two and can handle the ball yeah. like a point guard. That's okay. I'm more interested in the guys that have been around for years. I look at Chris Paul who's gone to uh, Golden State and I've watched a couple of Warriors games already and already I think while Chris Paul is a great player and he adds things that they didn't have, I just think it's it's upset the whole rotation there. It's well, upset. He's, he's been starting. Yeah. He's, uh, I think he's now going to start coming off the bench, yeah. which sounds like, and playing less minutes, which is good for him because he's, what, 36, 37. And, and I think coming off the older. bench is probably the way to go, but it pushes everyone else on that roster back a little bit, and I'm just not sure, you know, do, do they need him to win the championship? I wouldn't have thought so. They just need to stay fit, and one of those other players needs to come through and push up a little bit and get better. I would have thought that would have been the better way to do it. I just look at the NBA and I, I get annoyed. Not so much Chris Paul, but a guy like Westbrook. Um, Harden has been uh, Harden pulling his way around. Everyone. These guys go from club to club to club. Uh, Irving, another one. They are bordering on cancerous. Oh, they're not bordering on. I think they very much are. To Whichever an club they go to, it's too much about them. Uh, and I, I just think that, you know, guys like Westbrook and that, they're never going to play in championship teams. It's just a joke. Has, um, what was the other guy I mentioned there before? Has he played in one yet? Kyrie Irving. Yes, he played in one. Yeah, Did he the play Ca- in one? Cavs in yeah, Cleveland with, uh, with LeBron. Um, so. Yes, but just selfish, just don't understand the team uh, vibe and how to get on with teammates and how to make people around them better. I would say that's the thing for Westbrook and Irving and these guys is they don't make people around them better. Uh, You look at Curry, he makes everyone in his team better. And I was just about to mention Curry. I want to mention Steph and Curry in the fact that are we going to – like we already are shocked in how ageless they are. Are they going to like – do Tom Brady stuff and still be playing when they're 45? Because it looks like they could. Well, in basketball, you can. I reckon you get into a rhythm. It's not so much a fitness thing. They're all at pretty equal fitness. But someone like Curry, who's a shooter, I reckon could play for deep into his, into his high 30s at yeah. least. What is he, 33? 
33 now, 32. No, he's older than that. He's, he's 35, beyond his 30s. He? Yeah, I reckon okay. he's 36. Well, he's going to play deep. He's going to play – he's going to be probably one of the first players maybe to go close to 40, I reckon. Changing gears a little bit. Um, I've got a new office. I've been working from a yes, new office. Yes, you have. Where is it? Here. Producey. Producey. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing I think about when I walk into um, into this office here at Producey – You get the um, icks. Led by Dylan Buckley. I <laughs> – I look at it and go, it's a bit messy. Why do you think it's a bit messy? It just needs to tidy up. You, uh, you've got you've got about ten guys working up here, three or four girls, um, someone, and I don't don't expect you. You shouldn't come in here expecting it's going to be one of the girls that's going to clean the office, uh, Harrison. It should be you. You need okay. to get <laughs> off your ass and show your worth in here and start cleaning up. Place is a mess. But it's a, it's a really good fun environment. I've only been here for a day or two, but. For someone, especially coming out of COVID, I've been working from home pretty much the whole time mm. and it's great because you've got the flexibility. You can sort of go for a walk or run at lunch and you can run your own schedule. But well, you can you do get, that. I, I don't you like get to pretty surprise lonely. you, but you can do that anywhere. Yeah, but you've never worked in an office, so you wouldn't actually well, know. I have. I have worked in an office. When did you work in an office? I worked in an office. I did a little bit of work with Ricky Nixon back in what, the- What, a uh, work experience for one day? A few days, a few weeks. And no, you, Wait, I've, you worked for Ricky Nixon? I worked with Steve Pirrie uh, at Frontier. Uh, I've done quite a lot of office work. In can fact, you tell I me could about be it? almost uh, talked about as an office worker. So you worked for the chicken train? Yeah, in early early days when he was flying, when he was in Top Gear. Toot, toot. When he had Top 10 going. Toot, toot. <laughs> toot, toot. Um, I wanted to ask about your new car. You got a new Land Cruiser. Yeah, the old C300, 300 series. Yeah. Uh, yeah what fant- year? Fantastic cars. Well, current current model, of course. Yeah. Um, no, not that car, the old oh. car. Oh, yeah, the 75 yeah. series, whatever they yeah, call the it. Yeah, the red one. Yeah, the red one, a, yeah. a new ute. Yeah, yeah. A, an absolute ripper for Walhalla, yeah. a, a wood-chopping ute where I can, you know, basically lay trees in the back by falling yeah. them onto the back of the ute. It's that tough. You've never had something you could bang around in like it's that? It's a ripper ute. So we're looking forward to that. It's an old one. What is it, a 1998, I think it was. Yeah, it's um, my new favourite thing. I yep. love it. More content corner. People want more content corner. Brian, what is content Brian's corner? Brian's content corner. Remember the other week we did David Beckham and you spoke about Bex and the content Netflix yeah, so what series. are we speaking about now? Was there anything you've been watching, anything you'd recommend? Yeah. Uh, l- l- last. Last. Uh, yeah, last I, know, I know what you're talking about. Ditch Larimer. Um, what's it last called? Last Stop Larimer. Last Stop Larimer. Yeah, what's that about? We have a little place up at Walhalla, which yeah. is a population of 15 people, tiny little town deep in this valley, gorgeous looking place. Near, uh, near Mount Borbor, past uh, Maui. I would describe i describe the whole vibe of the place as highly unusual, yep. um, uh, a little bit of hate, a little bit of love. Yeah, not all, everyone gets on. All mixed in there. Not, not everyone, that last stop, Larimer, about a little town out in the desert, is absolutely fantastic. I think it's a two-series thing, um, not a two-series, two, series, episode two episodes. And it's about a little town where they don't get on. Someone committed a murder and everyone is a suspect within the town. I could imagine that happening in Walhalla yep. and everyone would be a suspect as well in Walhalla. <laughs> I can actually see how that would happen and uh, so that's why I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it from the pers- from the perspective of comparing it with a town that I know well in Walhalla. Yep. Um, so have a look at that if you can. It's a, it's a beauty. And staying on the content... Um our my brother Jordan, your other yes, son, yes. Um, made you what? Made you listen to a Joe Rogan show with Elon Musk. Yes. Any thoughts on that? 
You don't yes, listen to much Joe Rogan, but I don't. I, I don't mind Joe Rogan. I, I like him. I, uh, he he's a smart guy for someone that's involved in the sport. He is. You wouldn't think he's so he's intellectually a UFC commentator. Yeah, but he's more than a UFC commentator. Yeah. He's a, a political general, bloody knowledge guru. Yeah, and the people he he um, speaks to, he's learning a lot from. But anyway, he was talking to Elon Musk. He had him in the. I think he had him on his podcast for about three hours this particular time, and um, it was just interesting more to see about. Musk, you know, the richest man in the world, what he's like, um, you know, and, and why he bought Twitter or X as it's known now. And oh, I, I learned a lot from him. He's he's much more normal than I thought he would be. He's much more sort of um, right in the middle of the middle lane of politics, not too left, not too right, right in the middle where the majority are. And um, I admire that about him to and he took over put his tw- money where his mouth he, is. He took over Twitter for... He, reasons. Put, he took over Twitter because basically because he thought the world was going in the in the wrong direction in the social media world, yeah. and that we're Being becoming a bit too woke, and, too woke yeah. and we couldn't speak our mind. A and, cancel culture and a cancel culture. He, he values everyone's opinion. Um, uh, you know, even those that he vehemently disagrees with, he thinks he they have the right to be able to voice their opinion, and I agree with him. And um, so I was, I was surprised by both Rogan and how good he was at his job, and Musk at how how normal he was and how much he drives from the middle lane. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're liking Joe Rogan. He's been well, I've for always a while. liked Joe Rogan, but I've never put the <clears> Joe <throat> Rogan intellect together with the. MMA sort of special comments, man. I mean, you're half expecting to be a bogan or a bloody, you know, uh, fisty sort of love-hate on his knuckles and sort of, uh, you know, rough as guts sort of operator. That's what I expected him to be like. Um, and he's not at all. He's, he's a smart, yeah. obviously a very smart operator. Yes, our next guest, uh, Harrison, is a guy that I've known for 35 years, maybe a couple of years uh, more than that. Dave Connell is his name. He's one of Australia's very best cinematographers. He's since gone on to work in America since those days. That was 35 years ago that I met this guy, Harrison. 35 years work in the US. You can imagine what he's assembled over there. Dave Connell, welcome to you. Yes, thanks, BT. It's good to be here. It, it, it was an interesting start. You, you have been involved in this movie industry since you were how old? Um, you know what? I got in the business when I was like... 16. And you're now 67. Yeah, close. (laughs) Not to mention that, but yeah, close to. uh, Yeah, 67. And I've been in a long time now. And in those days, though, it was much easier to get into the business, I think, with the Crawford Productions going. and and, So that's where you started? That's where I started. Yeah, yeah. I. I, uh, I was a young trainee guy there. Doing what? Was it sound or camera? um, I got into camera pretty easy because when you get into the Crawfords, You've got to kind of nominate what you want to do, right? And uh, I, I wanted to always be camera because my father bought me a Super 8 camera when I was thirteen right. years old, and I went out and used to make movies. And yeah, so what, this what's one a Super 8 camera? Well, it's a, it's one of the original film cameras, like people use, um, people use like. Uh, Digital cameras now, right? Yeah that, yeah, that was a film camera, and we never had digital in those days. It was so. exclusively a movie yeah. camera, so you couldn't yeah. shoot stills on it. So I wonder why your dad bought you that. Is well, that, I, I had one as know, well. Yeah, oh, you're right. Probably, so this was a common thing. This was a yeah, common thing. It wasn't yeah. like a you know production sort no, of piece no, of equipment. No, no. No. Like now, they're they're going out buying you know like digital cameras for the kids or whatever if they're interested or they're or buying, just a phone yeah. or just a phone. <laughs> and by the way, the phones as good as quality as most things. So yeah. it's like so, uh, so Harrison, you know. my my memories of Dave. I met Dave. Uh, I was working um, uh, and we were in, we were we were making spas 
and installing spars. In yeah, the, you had right. your own company. We had our own company. That With your brother-in-law, did Adam. We, yeah, did Western Red Cedar spars and glass-reinforced concrete spars as well. And You've done some I weird shit. In your, you've done some weird <laughs> shit in your time. Yeah, Dave, yeah. Dave was one of those that paid a hefty price. <laughs> I think he ripped me off, actually. Uh, it it never did it, work it either, by the way. <laughs> anyway, we put a spar <laughs> down no. at Dave's place south of the Yarra here, and, um, and, and that was good. But then I, I went on, because you're involved, as you say, with Crawford, here in Australia, my brother-in-law Pino Amenta was yeah. a was a director at that particular time and worked closely with you. Yeah, and you you were you were in Australia. You hadn't left to go to America at this stage. No, that's right. Though it was like as I said, I was I think I did things like all the rivers run with Pino. Yeah, um, we did that. We started the Flying Doctor thing yeah, off with right. miniseries. Yep. Um, gross. Uh, I, what else did I do? I, quite a few things with Pino, actually. He well, was this great... one in Australia at this particular time was called Gross Misconduct. Do you remember yeah, who the I, actor was? Yeah, Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith, NYPD I, fame. Harrison, do you know him? Can you picture him? I, I can you picture know. the face, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's probably, yeah, it's... He's been around a long time. I've actually worked with him a couple of times since, actually. Yeah. He always remembers his trip to Australia and how actually you got us a ticket to well, the you, final. Well, uh, you <laughs> spoke like... to my brother-in-law, Pino, who was yeah. the director of this film you are doing, Mo- a Gross Misconduct. He rang me and said, Brian, I've got two guys who want to go to the footy. And I said, oh, yeah, who are they? And they said, he said, Dave Connell, who's the cinematographer, and um, Jimmy Smith, who's the main actor that's out from America. I said, look, I've just been given the ask by Collingwood. They all hate <laughs> me down there. I hate them. And the feeling wasn't great. Anyway, they're playing in this final in 19, I think it was 1990 or thereabouts. Yeah. And anyway, so he said, here, ring Jimmy Smits, the actor. I said, what? You want me to ring Jimmy Smits, the American <laughs> actor? Are you kidding? Anyway, I rang him. I said, you want to go to the footy mate? He said, yeah, I'd love to go and have a look at the game. He said, well, look, just be at my hotel at such and such a time. I said, how are we going to get out there? He said, don't worry about that. You just turn up at the hotel. So I turned up at the hotel. Dave's waiting there with Jimmy Smits. And I said, right, where's our car? He said, no, we're going in the helicopter. Yeah. It's parked over there. Well, <laughs> it, I sort of conned him there a little bit because you said to me, as I know, getting out to Waverley in yeah. those days was no fun. There yeah. was no public transport. There was no Nothing. It was just drive and it was in traffic, traffic, but traffic. That, that's, you that know. stadium was always packed, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, was, he said, <laughs> jump in the chopper. We flew, yeah. landed at Waverley, which is embarrassing <laughs> but sort of funny. It was fun, yeah. And, and, we, and the, I'd got – because I wasn't friendly with Collingwood, I couldn't get tickets through them, but I got tickets through the AFL and they invited us to the lunch, right? And they said, Jimmy can get up and say a word or two and he did all of that. But what it did for me was break that sort of rift that I had going with Collingwood because all of a sudden good, everyone yeah. – wanted to meet Lee Matthews' wife, who wasn't getting on well with me. Uh, All of the board of directors of the Collingwood Football Club weren't getting on with me and I wasn't getting on. All of a sudden, they all wanted to meet Jimmy Smith. So you've used Dave to get back in the inner sanctum. I didn't know that. So it got got me back in. So so that was the start of it all. So, And as I say, you'd you'd done your apprenticeship basically through through Crawford's. But you go to America, you've been there for a long, long time. Some of the... Some of the actors you've worked with, Christopher Reeve, Jimmy Smith, Pierce Brosnan, Naomi Watts, Daniel Radcliffe, Patrick Stewart, Michael Bublé, David Tennant, James Cromwell, Jonathan Grease, um, just to name a few. A few, yeah. It's, Amazing career. You know what, though, with actors, as far as I'm concerned, it's just like you and I. You know, I don't see them as being – like I've always been big on meeting sports stars more so than right. meeting actors because actors yeah. you're working with all the time and – and they're just like they're like anybody else. They're just normal people. That's someone explained it to me this morning. So the director is responsible for the actor's performance. You, as the cinematographer, are responsible for everything you see on the screen. Is yeah. that how well, it works? You, you really are the director's vision. 
Right. Like the director will come up with some ideas, but a lot of times, like the guys I work with anyway, other than the couple, will just leave you to it. Like I work a lot with Jonathan Frakes, who's the ex-Star Trek or Star Trek right. actor. So if you and were to it, define you know, cinematography, what would you what would you describe? I would define it, it as you're the direct you're really the director's vision. Yeah. And you know, it's a and if you've got a director that really um has a certain vision, you're there to capture that vision. It's like in the lighting, like uh with the David Tennant job, for instance, it was a uh movie called Bad Samaritan and it's a thriller uh we did and unfortunately it you know, it sort of came out and went, but it's actually not a bad thriller if anyone wanted to uh, watch it. It's called Bad Samaritan. He plays a real evil person. Right. And um, that movie relied on lighting to, to keep people scared, you know, make right. people scared. Like I've done a lot of Stephen King films and really it's what people don't see is what makes them scared. Yes. If you see shots of big wide shots and all that kind of thing and you see where that person is, well, you're not really scared. Yeah. So we did mystery. a lot of jump. People jump when they see yeah, a few right. effects. So it's uh, – so a lot of it is in the lighting in these um, movies. You got to. So what sort of a team do you have around you? Or you know, it's not just the changing of lenses for certain shots. There are multiple oh, cameras yeah. operating at the one time. That, yep. If you were going on to a major motion film, how many people would you be in control of to get this job done um, to the level you require? There would be at least on set. Uh, in the in the US, it's a little different here. I haven't worked here for many years, but um, but I would say there's like 50 right. people that you're oh, dealing with. You haven't just got the crew on set. You've got a crew that's working ahead of you to light it. So you're giving instructions to them because that you could want take it. a half a day to set up or a day. Yeah, because what what happens is like especially television, they 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 want it done quickly. They don't want you to be in there for. Uh, ever lighting and yep. all that kind of thing, you might try and do it with 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes a shot. So right. like a lot of the like the main set, I do a show now called uh, Leverage Redemption. It's for Amazon and we've been renewed but because of um, circumstances like why I'm here really is the well, right, writer's strike. Well, you're here because of the writer's strike, yeah. And an actor's strike. They're, and yep. I don't know when when it's going to go back. Like I've been told we got a roll camera in January, but that's providing we've got actors. For the people that aren't as aware, like me, yeah. what is what is that issue at the moment? What's well, the dispute? you know, the, the, the dispute is, I, uh, is normally it's residuals. Like, I guess, like the same thing in the music industry, I suppose. But they want to, like, if you think of places like Amazon, they will show, uh, like, movies that were done 20 years ago or whatever, but the actors that are in them, not they're not getting, paying them. They're not yeah, getting right. any any money, like Netflix and all these yep. places in the studio. They're not getting money, and they're saying, well, what's what's happened to our residuals? But see, I think, see you Harrison, know, each time a song is played on the radio, mm. they get paid for that. Yeah, that song. Yeah. The, the, that yeah. is, I guess that's that is the, the change in technology and how we consume content now. Everyone's sort of catching up and like, hang on. We're seeing movies from 20 years ago, as he said. That's right. And then why aren't I getting paid for that now? Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's like, as I said, and those it's contracts probably... weren't designed for this, you know, consuming yeah, of the they product. Put, yeah, they, they, they've always worded it differently so they can get, you know, studios can get around it. You know, um, no one wants to pay out money if they don't have to. And like, I think this thing, you know, this AI now is a big thing. Like AI now is starting to think like actors, like writers. Um, normally get paid for script amendments and, and all that. Like I say, they, they've got a script that they need to rewrite. Yep. Yep. Now they're sticking it into the computer and the computer's come spitting out a rewrite. So Have you heard of GBT? 
No, I haven't. No, it's a, it's a AI program where you can give it like as many details as you want, like keywords and stuff. And say you want to write an email to someone, and you say, "I need to write an email to Brian. Um, I want it to sound like this. It's for his birthday, but I also want to talk about that." And it will produce something yeah. for you yeah. out, out of the information that you provided, yeah. which see, is incredible. See, that's kind of scary for people down the track that want, uh, you know, could be out of work. It's yeah. like. Uh, you know, you just think like graphic designers and all that. You can spit things in, or come out with some graphic, and it, it yeah. just makes me a bit nervous. really nervous about yeah. jobs in the future. Really, it's like it's great to be have this technology, but gee, like, uh, are we all got to be out of work from it? You know, yeah. uh, actors' faces got to be replaced. Like, it's it's a scary, that's it's, it's a scary, scary thing. thought. Yeah. <laughs> I it's think like, I think like the human nature of it has to remain, especially in the the caper that you're in in film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, half time in this episode of The Life of Brian. Now, I'd like to give this message. I'd like the opportunity to talk about our great friends at Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne. If you're on a construction site and need product urgently, then you can count on Grimley's Direct. Getting your orders to you on time, every time at speed with our fleet of Grimley's vans and trucks direct from us to you. It's that simple. Grimley's has been in the game for more than 30 years earning a reputation built on grit, determination, and a focus on delivering the best sourced fasteners and construction supplies with a whatever-it-takes type attitude. Uh, whether it's a large commercial job, a small domestic little project, hardworking tradies need the right products at the right time. Grimley goes above and beyond to deliver on the details. Grimley's always aims for the best solutions to your products. Go to grimleys.com.au for delivery that you can count on. So, Harrison, I want to mention a couple of things that Dave has done. I mentioned the actors, but uh, you, you may remember Snow Walker, Fortress back in 85, Moby Dick back in the original Moby Dick back in 98. I think that was a series. Well, yeah, it was a mini-series. A mini-series, um, yeah. Yeah, and that's also actually- December Boys, the the original Aviator, the Aviator. Yeah, the Aviator. That's- uh, Back in yeah, 1985. Well, it starts- Who was the- Was that the- Was that the Christopher Reeve? Yeah, it yeah. was. It yeah. was like- and. and um, you know, I've got to say, I was 24 years old, I think, or something. Is that 25, 24? 20, yeah, when I shot that movie. Yeah. I didn't, I've got to tell you, I didn't know much what I was doing because. <laughs> Nor do we. So you're working, <laughs> hang on, you're working it's with a, the biggest movie star in the world, this Christopher is after Reeve. Superman or yeah. before? No, this was during Superman. I think he'd just yeah. done one or two at that point. Right. And, you know, and you're and basically him, saying you, know. you just sort of fumbled your way yeah, through. I did. And I've got to say, <laughs> and, uh, and, and the director, George Miller, actually, the late George Miller now, he. Uh, he was a little the same, but he was a bit older than me. He'd been around a little longer, yeah. but not much. We're all kids out of Crawford Productions that did shows. That, okay, you're now shooting the Sullivans, or okay, what do I do? And it was like, <laughs> um, yeah, we were thrown in. And the way we used to make money, because those days they'd pay you 25 bucks a week, you know, um, it was like nothing. We used to go out on weekends and grab the camera truck and make music videos, like I did Kylie Minogue's first locomotion video. Did just you? To, yeah, just did to make really? some money. Yeah, that was. It was like you had – there was no money and it was like – and, you know, Pino could tell you that. We used to go out and just do weekend work and commercials we used to make. and So that really rings home that this profession for you has never been about money. It's always been about the passion. The love for, of it, really, yeah. because we never got the money at Crawford's and Crawford's didn't mind you using their camera truck, but they didn't want you to use their film stock. So we made – I think it was Mushroom Records back then that we made um, – a lot of music videos for them. Yeah. So, uh, Na name a couple. Um, I, Paul Kelly, I did there. Like, um, 
I could actually name of quite a few. I did Madonna years ago, but back in the states, and I used yeah, to wow. make a little bit of a career doing them and yeah. commercials. And um, oh God, what's that? There's a there's a lot of. Uh, what was Madonna, guys, what was Madonna like to work with? Did you have much? Uh, to do you know it? what? She was professional. That's was all she? I could say. But she yeah. was, you know, not not the easiest. <laughs> I could imagine. You know, it's, is there it's, someone you can tell us that's? I, I don't know. This this won't go to America. This is just a little yeah, yeah. podcast in Australia. But <laughs> is there someone that's been particularly difficult to work with that we would know? Um, and and why are they difficult to handle? I mean, the directors basically handle the actors, but you you would have a lot to yeah, do. Yeah, you know them what well. I, I do, and I feel like Patrick Swayze was difficult, right? Uh, but Patrick was a good guy, like in terms of, like we were shooting um, a thing called Icon in in uh, where were we? Bulgaria and Russia, right? And Patrick wouldn't come out of the trailer, <laughs> and um, and they sent me in because I got on okay with Patrick. Yeah. And Patrick's thing was, oh, well, we can do it tomorrow. No big deal. I said, Patrick, we're all on a plane tomorrow. We're out of here. We've finished the movie. It's the last day of the movie. And what we don't shoot tonight, we won't be shooting. And um, Charlie Martin Smith, a friend of mine who was the actor, who was the actor director on this, he didn't want to go in. And anyway, he thought, oh, okay. So he came out of the trailer and we did it. But we worked all night to get it. Literally, people were saying goodbye as we were shooting scenes because they're on a flight out. You know, it was. I think it was just before Christmas, if I remember, but he was a little, you know, but he was good. Like there hasn't been too many actors. There's been a few actresses I've had, uh, but I haven't personally had problems with. Yeah. Um, you know, Jerry Ryan's a bit precious. She's can, an actress and uh, she, but. Can they be they, demanding? They can be. Like actors, as they're ageing, they want to look the best, right? And right. a lot of that involves lighting and I'm involved okay. with the lighting side right. of it. I've worked with Raquel Walsh and I, she was something else. You know, really? She was like a, Very particular about her looks. Oh, yeah, and didn't really care. I felt sorry for her fellow actors. She wouldn't even stand there to read lines to them. She would go, you know. Would uh, she have someone sort of reviewing the monitor? No, not really, but she'd look at dailies at night. That was going back in film days where right. the only way you used to see it, it was a bit more magical, I think, in film days because the only way, the only person knew that was got, knew what it was going to look like was the director of photography, hmm. the guy like myself. And yeah. even so you'd get up there and you'd project the dailies that night and she would sit in the projection room watching it, you know, it's like, the yeah. the, like in a theatrette or whatever. Yeah, wow. But it was not like now where you've got the monitors and all that kind of thing. It's like everyone can see what they look yeah. like. The magic's kind of got out of it a little bit. It's, was there uh, one particular film that you can remember that you, you just loved doing it? You just you, you couldn't get enough of it and it just worked out. You know out what? The there was a th- um, – yeah, there was actually. I did a um, – well, I, one one thing was years. The first one was probably All the Rivers Run. Uh, right. With was that Pina. an Australian film? That's an yeah, Australian. Yeah, it was an Australian. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Up in Chuka. It's, you know, yeah. uh, in a with John Waters and Sigurd Thornton. That was lovely. Like the locations were great. The crew were great. Yeah. Um, and it was an Australian job rather than a US job. And it was one of my first, I think, major miniseries for, at that time, HBO, I think. It right. was uh, HBO had it. And um, so it was a really good, you know, it was a really good fun to work on, like, Sitting in, we were in Echuca for I think seven, six or seven months. I think, yeah, up there doing doing that, and then there was um, I really enjoyed doing a Stephen King. Uh, it was a mini series called Storm of the Century, and that we shot in Maine and uh, Toronto. Um, Why did that, you enjoy that? Oh, it was just once again, it was because of the lighting. You were able to let go and just do 
whatever lighting you wanted to do, like right. you know, whatever skip. the sky. Yeah, it was commanded. like this guy that visited this town in the in the. Um, and it was a storm. It was like storm of the century, and he was an evil guy. He was like the devil, and he wanted he, he, this line in it that "Give me what I want, and I'll go away." Well, what he wanted was one of the children in that uh, in that town that belonged to the people. So it was actually quite a <laughs> dark, quite a dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah, we, we it was fun that, to work um, on the filmmaking and the production process. Where are you involved? Where do you step in and step out if you do? Well, I step in probably. Um, a month or so before production starts up, yeah. doing pre-production. Now, if you haven't worked with that director, you try and get a little bit more pre-production. If you're doing How a movie, how important is that relationship? A very important. You know, like now in my career, I just tend to like work with people I know. Um, and but a lot of my old director mates are all retiring, or you know, as they say, if uh, if you're over fifty now, it's pretty tough to get a job you're as a director. Yeah. yeah, so it's not it's not an easy. Yeah, it's a little easier for me because. I'm not a director. I'm the director of photography, but uh, yes. I'm not a director. But a lot of um, still like guys like Jonathan Frakes will call you up and say, "Listen, I'm doing something. Are you available to do it?" And um, right. and um, which was Bacard. He asked me to do a series called Bacard, uh, which but I couldn't do it. So that it was that timeline. So how long would you shoot uh, your standard film for? Well, yeah, how long was you that know, go for? Like yeah. like if you're doing a, a movie, a movie might last. 40 days, 50 days. That seems uh, short. Yeah, it depends on the type of movie. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, all about cost as well, isn't it? It is about cost. Like uh, that's, And it's all like the reason we shoot uh, Leverage Redemption in New Orleans, it's all about tax incentives. Like, <laughs> a, So production can get money back for every single person. Right. Like it's 30% or 35% of everybody who's working on that production, they get back from the government. They get back from the state government. Wow. So that's why you hear about a lot of things and a lot of movies. If you look at them, they're shooting in Atlanta. Now, Atlanta is a big movie um, place because they offer the best incentives. Right. Now, which means sometimes if you're getting in there late, you could get the dregs of the crew too. So, you know. Because there's not, only so many crew to go so around. There's only so many crew members to go around. And yeah. they're saying, oh, well, I'll just go on, on this other, other production and they'll leave you or whatever. But I have a short memory on that stuff huh. because right now every one of those people are ringing me up and saying, oh, we've got a job, yeah. you know. So it, is, it goes, you know. is Australia an attractive option for international and American stuff to come out here and film in Australia? Oh, very, yeah, very much Financially. so. The Australian government offer a very similar thing. Right. And like in America, like just the show I work on, there's 50 Teamsters and Teamsters are, you know, have been around since the stagecoach days and they're drivers and um, – they get paid thousands and thousands a week too. They're, they're on a big money and we don't even have them in this country. So there's probably so what, what a is a driver? Of, well, every single truck that has a lighting equipment or grip equipment or any, any camera equipment has got its own driver. And they won't open that truck until it's ah. time to as well. So if a camera system wanted to get something out of the truck, more often than not, they won't even open that truck. Right. Um, you know, they'll probably have, they may have Teamsters here, I don't know. Yeah, you know, they're normally very nice people, but it's a lot of money to to pay. And like here, like the lighting grip and all that um, camera, they drive their own trucks, yeah. you know, so the crew will drive the oh, trucks. So, so that's, 40, 50 days of filming? Yeah, and not, like I'm about to go on to a 90-day shoot, but that's yeah. a series, so I'm about to do... And then and post-production so after things have yeah, finished, you, so do you wipe your hands of it and I do. say that's I, the I, Basically, now? the last day of the shoot's my last day. 
So you're I not involved away. in post-production, no, the editing? No, other than the colour grading later and even then they sort of don't call you or they, you yeah. know. So um, a big American budget, you say you're about to go on a 90-day shoot. Well, So in a big American budget, what roughly would be the, the well, money they'd spend on such you know, a... You, well, what... Just this the uh, an hour episode of what I do, uh, which is normally well with if there's commercials they want forty three minutes. I think it's roughly four and a half million per episode. So roughly so to make to per make, episode is four and a half. Million. Yeah, and you've got things like Games of Thrones, which is like fifteen to eighteen million dollars an episode. Wow. So it depends on the size of the sh- of yep. the show, like. Australians, they might make an episode of TV for under a million dollars. So uh, when might... you get offered a job, do you, is one of the first things you say, well, what is the budget for this yeah, film? Yeah, because, because you need to know whether it's going to be done properly. That's right. You, you need to know whether they've – like I um, worked this movie, after you mentioned it before, The Snow Walker, which we shot in um, northwest territories of uh, Canada – and freezing cold, and uh, and we and we also shot in the summer with the flies. And you, at one point, I couldn't even see a person because of the flies. Uh-huh. And they wanted to do this love scene. I said, <laughs> I can't see the actors. <laughs> flies, <laughs> there's so many flies, I can't see them. Or and not just flies, but like mosquitoes. It was yeah. horrible, yeah. you know. Um, and then we had polar bear issues. If polar bears would, you know, polar bears, you can kiss your ass goodbye if, if one of them <laughs> yeah. comes up. So it's like. Uh, and the crew, I said, like Charlie Martin Smith, who was the director of that, was the actor in a movie called Never Cry Wolf many years ago right. for Disney. He yep. also did American Graffiti and yep. Touchables and all that. But it, it was, and um, he said, oh, we went out for two years and shot, and we did a small crew. And I thought, well, we should go out for a year and shoot with a small crew, you know, just to make because it didn't have a huge budget. Anyway, I think we went out for thirty days with a small crew, and uh, it was a. And that was the thing, I Bublé's, like I men- mentioned to the buddy uh, with um, Michael Bublé, I said at the end of a day I'd hear him with his guitar. Yeah. And this was before he was Michael Bublé, right? right? And I said, well, gee, you might have a career doing this one day, you know? And, I said, <laughs> and a year so later he was, he was a, Michael Bublé. So he, <laughs> no. so he was originally an actor? Well, he that. wasn't. No, he was actually not really an actor. He was the friend of the producer of the movie. Oh, and right. he got him a small part. He had a small right. dialogue, a small part in it and it was um but it was kind of very camaraderie speaking of small parts dave uh dave (laughs) find this funny i was involved in a little uh, production over here called you wouldn't have heard of the last cab to darwin Oh, yes, and, I have. I, have I, saw, I that? liked that movie. It was good. Oh, was it? Yeah, 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 Brian Taylor. That's you know, the, what was the director's name? Um, uh, you know him well. I know Michael Caton was in it, wasn't he? Yeah, it? Michael Caton was in it and Jackie Weaver was in it. Um, he was the director. Oh, he's a Collingwood supporter as well. I forget his name now. He's a great fella. That's why you're in the film, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you're the, co- you're the coach of the footy I had one line to do. And I had to present it. I had to say it to Michael Caton. Of course, I'm not an actor, and they got me there. So, and I'm playing the role of a footy coach, and I just, I just couldn't. I'm not exaggerating. It's the worst piece of acting I've <laughs> seen I, in I anything had ever. Fifty goes at it, and I'm I can so see embarrassed. Yeah. They, the <laughs> actors are getting pissed off with me because you know they're just wasting time. Well, and what I do you have to say? Like two words or something? Oh, He's well, a star. Yeah. He's <laughs> a star. The, the yeah. other actor goes oh, about this kid who's playing in the team. Is he any good? And Brian's one line is. He's a star. star. <laughs> <laughs> the delivery was just awful. Uh, but that's hard, though, I reckon. Uh, like the, it's know, very unnatural. It's a very unnatural. A TV I commentator, actors. but it's a totally different yeah, uh, ball game. It's, it is. It's it's live, and when you get a chance to act at it, just well, has was, a whole was, different meaning. Years ago, you know, I was shooting this thing called Buffalo Girls with Melanie Griffith and Angelica Houston, and 
Jack, old Jack Palance, um, he, and Melanie said, oh, you've got to be the photographer at the wedding in the, in the movie. And oh. they gave me like a line or two to do because it's actually quite good because if you're shooting something, if you have a line in the States, it's 1200 bucks. Right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Oh, that sounds all right. And anyway, yeah. they cut my line, so that was no good. And there was like, and there was this like scared-looking guy getting up, taking this photograph at a wedding. And you I was only like, get paid if it stays in the Well, the that, that, yeah, that, I think so. Yeah. But uh, and I was offered something else recently. I needed an Australian to play this quick part of a show that I was doing. I was doing a – I think it was Leverage or Librarians or one of those shows I was doing, and uh, they won an Australian accent. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. It was two lines and the, and the producers cut it. He said, oh, no, I don't want to pay the money. So make there, sure was, there get, was my make, big Make sure you get on. your residuals. <laughs> yeah, right. Get that in your that's contract. Right. Harrison, what an amazing, you know. an amazing job. Oh, it's pretty, like, you, know. you know. Going to America, 35 years, meeting all of these people uh, and getting the opportunity. I think it's a bit like a Formula One driver, I guess, Dave. You're getting the opportunity to drive the best yeah. car in your case, getting an opportunity with the best budget to be able or to equipment. show and, off your expertise. That's, you know, that's a good thing. And I've got to say, uh, you know, um, I've since become an American citizen. Have you? Yeah. And I've, well, I'm a dual, dual citizen. Right. I've always said I'm not going to give up my Australian passport. But it's funny because you're an Australian, but it's the Amer- it's the Americans that are going to look after you in your old age. They're the ones that give you your social security and everything right. else. Yeah, so right. it's like, um, so Australia's and they've been very good, good to me. That. No, Australia, they don't want to pay up anything. I don't, but not that I need it or yeah, want. Yeah, I don't need yeah, it. It's yeah. so I'm, I'm doing all right. So, uh, but it's the Americans that uh, will look after me in the mm. as you retire. Can you I know. ask a really rude question, Dave? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Someone of your ilk, one mm. of Australia's best cinematographers. We've had. Well, I won't say that, but I, I hope I'm there yeah, somewhere. You, well, the fact that you're over there doing some yeah. of the best best stuff is is indicative of that. What what does someone like you, uh, it's a very personal question, earn? I don't know well, how you can put this. but if be you're... Honest, um, Well, it, it's it's for four months, say, like Australian dollars or uh, yeah. say Australian half a million dollars. Half a million dollars. But uh, for, for that, you've got to leave every – you left your family, everything oh, yeah. here. You, I, you, well, you... I did take them over for a while, but yeah. I found myself – they were in L.A., and when the kids were really young, and then I found then I found um, like it was getting I was going away for most of the yeah, films. That's I wasn't right. sitting in LA shooting. Home. I was never home there. So yeah. I said, well, why sit in the US? You might as well be back with the Australian friends. I might as well, you might as well be back there. But my son kept uh, his Australian passport and uh, sorry his um, green card back then, and uh, he's still working in the states. And my what other daughter's he produ- he's a second AD. A second, second AD, which What's is AD? Uh, assistant director, which right. really sort of gets schedules made, work with alongside the director to say, okay, well, what do you want? And they organise, right. they organise the actors, extras, yeah, and on a set. So he's he works also a bit in New Orleans, and I have a daughter that's a producer, so she mm. she lives in uh, in London. Have so, you ever uh, got to work together? Uh, with my son, I have. Right. I haven't with my daughter. Yeah. I don't think I could work with her, Brian. I think she'd be. <laughs> I think I'd be yelling at her. I, could, be I t- couldn't work with my dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's sort of difficult. It's, I just don't think I want to work with. And she's doing some really good shows, producing some big, big shows right. over in London for. Any um, any that we would know. Um, there's a there's a show with Tim Roth called Tin Star. I think it's on Amazon. Yeah, right. Um, she produced that. 
Um, she um, works for a company called Gamont Studios, which are a French studio, which I think are the oldest studio in the world. Right. And she does the London producing side okay. of it. And uh, so she lives there now with her husband. And but back, on, back on your work... The, I assume the hours when you're on set and you're filming would yeah, just be limited? chaos. Well, you know what? The thing about it is what they do for me, um, they give you an incentive. They pay you for a 12-hour day. And anything, day. Ever, anything over 12 hours, they'll give you overtime or whatever. But the incentive is for me to get it done under 12 hours. And I, you know, because then you're really working, you know, you're, you're getting your 12-hour pay anyway. You yeah. might as well, I'm going to try and do it in 10. Yeah. Are you trying so, to rush it though? Is no, there, you're not trying to rush it. Yeah. You, you won't, you know, make the make the quality any worse. But um, Being you know, more we, efficient. Be, yeah, be a bit more efficient. Get the crew working a bit quicker and get them yeah. going. And uh, like we have a permanent set on the show that we work on. It's in a, a couple of levels and the lighting I've got down to a point where everything's on hydraulics and comes down and right. you light it and then uh, you can move things around very quickly and we can sort of do around about seven or eight pages a day, which is quite a lot another, uh, on, in that set. Another basic film fan question from me, where does CGI come into it? Is that your worst enemy? Like, well, is that done is, in post-production? Um, what is CGI? Yeah, I'll let the expert well, explain it. C- CGI, in 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 terms of its, uh, it's adding. It's take. Is it, it, what you're saying is right. It's taken over a lot of st- um, like green screen working. You've okay. probably worked with that Brian yep, yourself, and I they have. put they yep. put in the, or everything later. Yeah, and you put all the actors who are sitting on a green screen stage. And you know they'll be putting explosions in. You've just got to do like interactive lighting towards that. You've got to, the, the visual effects um, guy. So is that boring also, for you? You know what? It's not boring, but it's kind of is. <laughs> it know, takes away the uh, art. Yeah, because years, many, many years ago, I did a movie called The Neverending Story, and that was on a, a lot of that was on a blue screen stage. But that was before CGI ever ever came into, uh, which is computer graphics imagery yeah. is the is the term. So. Yeah. Um, before the CGI was ever around, we had to do things a lot, lot different. And that's why if you look at those, probably a lot of those old movies that involve a lot of blue screen, it all looks pretty hokey. But uh, now they're getting to a point where it just all looks fantastic. But Or is it fantastic? I, I can pick it all, the CG, you know, yeah. work. And like um, I saw that Tom Cruise movie just recently, that Mission Impossible. There's so much CG in it and, and all those um, big... Um, Movies they do. Uh, do you look at that as so, like a? More, you seem more of, of a purist, and you love the nature and those landscapes that are natural. Yeah. Do you see the CGI as like a oh. almost cheating a little bit? It, it is. You know, yeah. like it, they, <laughs> they can put in beautiful skies. They can yeah. put in great sunsets. They can yeah. they can do all that, and it is kind of cheating a little bit. And yeah. and they're doing more and more of it because it's getting cheaper and cheaper. It's more to efficient do too. Yeah. yeah, it's more efficient, and, yeah. and it's. Um, like we have eight days to shoot the show that we do, and uh, but it's an action, it's an action, it's a bit like a bit like Mission Impossible meets sort of Robin Hood. That's uh, and it's uh, they go by today's topics where a lot of uh, big businesses will be ripping off people, so they um, they have the people at the very beginning come in, so they've just ripped me off for three million dollars or half a million dollars or whatever, and this crew go in and rip the big company off. Do you have a So it's kind of a fun show to do. You do know? you have a favorite film? Maybe uh, there's two categories. There's your favorite film and the best film you've seen. Other than your yeah, own. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I wouldn't put my uh, my films in that category, but 
I just like a lot of the old movies. I like things like Where Eagles Dare and all those old um, – um, I like a lot of old westerns and I enjoy, yep. you know, um, those sort of movies. I'm trying to think of the best movie I've seen of late and it hasn't – Have you seen Oppenheimer? I have. Yeah, what do you think I saw it on the wrong format. I saw it on the TV, which so is not, not – uh, No, I want to yeah. go and see it properly. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, see it um, IMAX or something. Yeah, I'd love to see that because yeah. that, that um, Chris Nolan, he, he does make – Movies still on film as Spielberg does too. They still shoot film like have, the old have you days. Met still, I have met him. Yep, I have met you? him once at a party, and yep. uh, but I haven't worked for him. He has his own DP as a director of photography, um, Yarnish. Do they generally uh, those top guys all work with the same team? They, so I'm only do. doing this movie uh, if I have yeah, so and so. Exactly, exactly right. They yeah. like it's hard to break in on those movies because they've already got their own established established cinematographer on that. So but, you really. Really, you, you've got to have your own director. Sometimes the directors don't have their own cinematographer, but a lot of them do. You caught my you ear know. with something there. You mentioned parties. Best movie party you've ever been to. Has there been one where you've gone, wow, this is <laughs> out of this world at the completion of filming or something? Is you there... know, the best one I've been to is one that they didn't. They said they weren't going to do a rap party and we the crew all got together. We did our own rap party and we went to this bar. It was in New Orleans, actually, about eight, ten years ago. And the guy, we rang the bar guy. He said, "Yeah, we'll stay open all night for you." And that was the, and we all stuck in a bit of money, and the actors put in more money, and we, you know, we. Who were the actors? On, do you remember? Would we know that them? Was, um, uh, do you know Noah Wiley? Noah Wiley was the, was the actor in ER. Right. He was one of the main oh, leads yeah. in ER. You know, I'm working with him still, actually. In fact, he was the guy I played golf with about a week ago. So uh, oh, in, your mum's favourite you know, show, ER. ER, yeah. yeah. She had ER figurines. Yeah. Oh, did she? Well, yeah. she'd know she'd know Noah Wiley very well right. then because he was, you know, and Clooney was in it with him. And yeah, uh, yeah. but um, no, he's a great he's a great guy, and he was one of the actors there that night. But that was the best. Like they have all these very very fancy rap parties. Yeah. But sometimes the the ones on the spur of the moment are yeah, the best. Yeah, the best. I've you know, always you've probably had that too. Yeah, absolutely, you know? they are. It's like, oh god, this has been a great night. I think Abs- I staggered out about eight a.m. or something. <laughs> so, so like, who, who would be the most well-known person in your phone book? Yes, not to uh, gloat because you don't no, seem like this that is kind a of guy. Modest thing. So yeah, who's the most famous name in your that that you've I, got in your phone book? Come on, don't well, be modest. I, no, well, I know no, you're a very be... modest man. <laughs> I don't know. I have a lot of, um, well, famous people, yeah. actors and all that. Yeah, I've, famous actor and then famous director. Well, that's going, that's, you know, I think I've got Pino Mentor in there, mate. <laughs> you know, I've, got his, I've got his number. Yeah, I've got, there's, well, to me, like guys like, um, they say Jonathan Frakes, like I never watched Star Trek, right? Yeah. And I had to meet him at the airport to fly. Once again, it was a job. It was one of these librarian movies we did. They did a series of three for TNT. And I said, well, what does he look like? And they said, uh, you know, the guy from Star Trek. I, got, I said, I don't know. What's I've never watched Star Trek. You know, so um, that guy. He said, I'll look for this big guy. And I found him. It was like, yeah. uh, well, that he's looks the, like a he's big the guy. He's the bald guy from Star Trek. Is that right? No, he's the no. guy with uh, played Riker yeah. in Star right. Trek. I haven't seen it either. Yeah, you can watch that old series, but he's not a famous like a famous person, but he's a good mate. Yeah, and a lot of these famous people probably don't want to look at you twice. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I have like Patrick Stewart's phone number, and I have right. a lot of uh, Jimmy Smith's as a uh, phone number. You mentioned him before, and uh, would he remember me? Do you reckon from thirty five? Probably years would. Ago. I'll, I'll ask him <laughs> if yeah, I you see him. Prompt his memory, would you? <laughs> it's like. Uh, 
he remembers the game because right. him. And, he he also produced this show. I did. He was the actor in it. it was a um, was a pilot for a new series, and um, that director I worked with, John Turtletub. He's very famous, a very famous director, right. and he's done a lot of stuff. And uh, but uh, that bobsled was one of them. The Disney movie yeah. that um, you know it's a bunch of um, um, what was it. Um, I forgot that wasn't the Canadian bobsled. It was the. Right. Uh, it was the t- Trinidad Tobago. Jamaican, yeah, t- Jamaican, yeah, Jamaican, Jamaican bobsled. Yeah, yeah. Cool runnings. Yeah. Cool runnings. Yeah. Then he did the latest thing he did was Meg, whatever it is, and I he asked me to shoot that movie and I I didn't do it. And I couldn't be bothered. I wasn't wasn't going to be bothered. It was one of I was overlapping something I was yeah. doing. It was a terrible script. <laughs> <There was> some, <laughs> and he thought it was terrible too. But he was like, yeah. anyway. But it was a huge budget movie. But I, you know, I don't have Spielberg's name or any of right. those names in my uh-huh. book. I've never worked for him, but I've, yeah. uh, I'd love, would love to. But as I said, they do have their own people, and yeah. it's it's hard to break. So there are often scene. more than one one person. So on a Spielberg film, yeah. they might have two or three cinematographers on. No, it? just the one. Just the one. Just the one. Yeah. Right. Janusz Kaminski, I think it shoots for him. Yeah. He they met together on the, um, oh that movie he did and was a harsh movie actually the one that they did. With the um, prisoner war camp thing, what was them? Uh, oh, I've forgotten the name Can't of that remember. movie. It was a right. Uh, it was a pretty heavy, the right. Jewish one with the oh yes, the prisoner war camp. Do I remember that one? Boy in the Striped Jacket. No, 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 more recent sweet. than that. Anyway, that's going back. Doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. But um, yeah, they met on that, and he's been with him ever since. He's probably done twenty movies with him since. So, well, David, it has been absolutely fascinating <laughs> catching up on what you have done for the last thirty-five years. Um, yeah, and prior we've only to just that touched too. on it. Yeah, <laughs> you've only good. just you know, touched. We've, we've but really... It's all good, mate. Yeah, yeah. Thanks but for having me. Actually, before we do wrap up, I just um, so we're sponsored by Grimleys on the show. Grimleys are a construction um, fastening and fixings company. Right. They are. Um, well, their calling card is that they go above and beyond. When has someone in your professional or personal life gone above and beyond? Um, in terms of to put you on the spot, yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, I, I, I've got to say, it was guys like George Miller, um, late built George Miller. He was the one Australian that, director. Australian director. He was the one that uh, said he's he's the guy for me. To, I went overseas and I did Aviator with him and the Never Ending yeah. Story with him. And uh, was um, he at Crawford's with you? He was at Is Crawford's it? and yeah. he he was the one that really boosted me along. It's like you know when I first worked with Pino. Yeah. Um, your brother-in-law, he he was sound, and he said one day I want to be a director, yeah. and he did, and he's a great yeah. director, yeah. and um, and he helped me along too. All yeah. the all the original old Crawford um, production yeah. directors sounds like a bit of a factory, and, yeah. it, and, yeah, it, and it's it's still it's like the reunions instead of having a high school reunion, we have a Crawford Productions reunion, so yeah. we all get yeah. together every 10, 15 yeah. years sometimes, and oh, fantastic, you know. There you go. Go to grimleys yep. for delivery. You can count on. Absolute delight to catch up with you, Dave. Uh, really appreciate you coming in. One of Australia's best doing well overseas. We uh, we, we love that and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mark. Terrific. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. That's it. See you later, everybody. Yeah.